in Matthew or in Haggai, excuse, excuse me, in Haggai chapter one, we'll be reading verses one through eleven this morning. Here in the prophet Haggai as he opens his prophecy to Judah as they have returned from the exile and are living in the land that God had promised to them and has now restored them back to. We read as follows. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one's warm. He who earns wages, earns wages to put them into a bag with holes in it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? says the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. The year is 520 B.C. Haggai the prophet is called to speak the word of God. Not foretelling the future, but forthtelling God's instruction to His people. And typically when we think of prophecy, we think about the future, future events, uh, someone who's going to tell us what's going to happen. But in the Old Testament, it's very characteristic of the prophets to not be telling the future, but instead be simply speaking the Word of God to the people of God. Haggai is one such prophet. Israel has returned to the land. They're living in Judah. Cyrus, the king of Persia, has decreed that they are to go home as no other nation that had been taken into exile in the ancient world had done. And he had told them, the rebuilding of the temple will be on Persia's dime. We're going to send gold and silver. We're going to send whatever animals you need for food and sacrifice. We're going to pay for it. We're going to help you do the Lord's work. And Israel's been back home now for about 18 years. They had begun rebuilding the temple. And they had found themselves discouraged. 
the naysayers, as we said last week, the haters were hating. Haters always be hating. They found themselves discouraged. They found themselves in the midst of a situation that they figured it's just not worth it. Growing weeds were the temple's foundations. Weeds were sprouting up. 18 years had passed. Israel's found themselves discouraged. It's just not going to happen, Lord. At least not now. Maybe later. Maybe when life is a little more convenient. Things are a little more doable. Haggai stands up to proclaim the Lord's word to them, to a people who are finding themselves in a bit of an identity crisis. We've heard of missing in action. They found themselves with missing in action. They were missing their destiny. They were missing their direction. They were missing who they were in God. See, they had come out of exile. They had survived. But the, the question they were wondering is, will we thrive really? Who are we as God's people? If we are the elect of God, if God has a special purpose for us, if He's not just allowed us to go into exile, but He has judged us through exile, and He has cleansed us and purified us, if He's kept us to be a remnant and He's brought us back out, who are we if we're just living in kind of the murky backwaters of a Persian empire? We're surrounded by people who are stronger than us, mightier than us. We're supposed to be God's special, very own chosen people. And yet we're nobodies, living in nothing. But hey, at least we survive. What does it mean to be the people of God when we are seemingly insignificant in the eyes of the world? You know, that's really where the church in America finds itself today. We're suffering from a bit of an identity crisis. We feel as though culture has left us. We feel as though, and most of us probably are, we're living 20 years ago. We're still living in the 80s. 20s, I guess, are now the 90s. 20 years ago. You know, we're, we're living back in the good old days where everybody knew about Jesus. People just, you know, they either served Him or they didn't. But everybody knew about Him. Everybody knew what it meant to be a church member. Everyone knew what it was to fear God and at least keep some decency in society. The church wakes up and finds itself in a bit of a conundrum in the eyes of the world. We're just living out in the backwaters. In the midst of a stronger and vaster empire. We find ourselves in the world wondering what does it mean to be the church now? We find ourselves in the midst of our communities thinking what does it mean to be faithful to God when I'm seemingly insignificant in the scope of things? The Lord told Israel to consider their ways. That term consider It means literally, set this on your heart. Let your heart bear this idea's weight. Think about what you're doing, Israel. 
You're allowing my house to lie in ruins. You're allowing my, the foundations of your temple to sprout up weeds. Meanwhile, you return back home and live a nice and comfortable life for yourselves in your own homes. Maybe later, Lord. We'll, we'll, we'll get those weeds pulled. We'll get those foundations reestablished. We'll get that temple rebuilt. Maybe later. Some of you have been around long enough to know that David Lane used to always say, nobody ever did anything tomorrow. It just doesn't happen. We'll get into this a little bit more at length, hopefully tonight, um, as we look at church history. But, um, you know, the future is always just out there. It's always hypothetical. It's always speculative. It's, it is not reality. It's possibility. It's potentiality. It's not reality. Now, history is reality. It really happened. You can look to the past and see this happened. And the fact that it happened doesn't change. Even if we want to rewrite it, what happened, happened. Those who lived, lived. Those who died, died. Those saints who have gone on before us, they lived lives of holiness. And they really did. You know, the present is, is just constantly moving. The present is always, is always slipping on into the future, and the future is always slipping on into the present. Nobody ever did anything tomorrow. It does us no good to say, maybe later, Lord. Later will never come. So God, through His prophet Haggai, twice tells them, consider your ways. Let this sit on your hearts. Place this, set it on your hearts. Consider what's going on. Consider the situation here. They're living life otherwise just fine. He says, you're living in paneled houses. We might think, oh, that's so 70s. That's Brady Bunch. Paneled houses? What in the world? Have a paneled house in the ancient Near East was nice. You brought in you know, uh, the cedars of Lebanon. You brought in the greatest of, 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 of wood in the ancient world to panel your houses. You're living, living life well. Living a good life. Got a nice, nice house, nice car, nice job, good pension. Life's hunky-dory. Otherwise, just fine. Maybe later, Lord. See, the reason we don't do the Lord's work is because we've got a number of Valid excuses, but they're excuses nonetheless. One is that we're too busy. Lord, I just, I don't have the time. Life is hectic. Life is constantly moving. Look at my iCal on my MacBook Pro. It, it's, I got meetings on top of meetings. I got meeting, multiple meetings at the same time I can't attend both. Perhaps I can Skype into one while I'm on the phone with the other. Lord, I've got no time. I'm too busy. And honestly, many of us are far too busy. And we need to slow down. See, we will 
We will never have time for God. And we will never have time for others until we make time. Not create time, but free up some time. Say no to some things. Lindsay has a policy when Advent gets here, her first answer is always no. Hey, do you think you could come over? No. Hey, do you think you could, we're we're wanting to do such and such? No. Once she says no and they've kind of dealt with the blow of that, then she'll consider, I think I can fit this in. Because she knows that life gets hectic, especially during Advent. And I'm, I know we're not yet to Advent. We've got three more weeks before we kick off that, that beautiful and glorious season. But when Advent begins, we think, oh, time to, I can relax and slow down a little bit, turn on some Christmas music, do some, some driving through neighborhoods and look at the Christmas lights. I'm going to slow down. I'm gonna, man, I'm going to read so much Scripture. I'm going to read more Scripture than God reads, probably. And I'm, I'm going to relax, and before we know it, It's Christmas Eve and we're still getting gifts and we're calling UPS, screaming and yelling because the bike hasn't arrived and we ordered it a week ago. We get too busy for God. Plain and simple. Maybe later, Lord. We get too broke. Lord, I don't have the means. I don't have the means to do your work. I am so strapped. I am so bound. The Lord says through the prophet Haggai, you seem to have plenty of means. You're returning back home to your nice paneled houses and my house is growing weeds. See, we get ourselves in situations where we've got obligations of time and obligations of finances that that we're struggling to meet. And sometimes in life we need to just stop and pull back. Reevaluate priorities. Maybe later, Lord. Maybe when the means are there. We look at ourselves and we say, Lord, I'm too broken. I've got no abilities. My life is a mess. I've got baggage. I've got hurts. I've got anxieties. People have burned me in the past. People have let me down. My home life growing up. My relationships. Lord, I'm, I'm too broken. I just... My life is such a mess, I can't pull it all together. Maybe when I get things together. Maybe then we'll start pulling those weeds. But right now, I just don't have any abilities. 
we think of ourselves as being too bested. There are others who are better than us, others who are more qualified than us, others who are better prepared than us, others who can do a better job than us. Lord, I'm completely and utterly insignificant. What have I got to bring to the table? Somebody else can do it. Somebody else is is a better speaker than I am. Somebody else is a more compassionate person than I am. Somebody else might be be able to do a better job than I could. I don't have any significance. I'm not as good as the next guy. I'm bested by others. Maybe later, Lord. Maybe later, when I get some significance. When I make a name for myself. When I earn a little bit of credit. With others. Once I finish school. Maybe then Lord. I remember in seminary. One of the things that. Uh, the Wesley Biblical Seminary. Harped on. And, uh, and sometimes it was frustrating. Because you think man. I've got 1200 pages to read. Just for Oswald's class. And i got another 1200 pages to read. For Yuri's class. Why in the world I take these two together in a semester? I have no earthly idea. But then I've got another few hundred pages to read for this third class that I thought was going to be the easy one. I've got papers due constantly. I'm having to write on the internet, on the interwebs. I'm having to put papers on there. And I've got tests coming up. And those tests aren't just tests. They're paper tests. I've got to sit and write for three hours. Write another paper. And the seminary would say, okay, you're not just a professional student. You're called to ministry. You're going to be involved in ministry. You had professors like Dr. Friedman who you had to do active, compassionate ministry on a weekly basis just to qualify for the A in the class. It didn't matter that you made 100 on the tests. It didn't matter that, you got, that your papers were better than everybody else's. If you weren't actually doing ministry, you weren't getting the A. Now that might sound harsh, and as a student, it, sound, it sounded horribly harsh. What in the world? But the fact is, you can't wait until you're significant enough. You can't wait until you complete that degree. You can't wait until you get positioned in life so that you can make a difference. God's saying, my temple has weeds growing up through its foundations. Who's going to... Take care of the Lord's work. See, we get hung up on this temple business and the foundations with weeds and it's been 18 years and God's being picky about His house being rebuilt. And we forget that the Lord's work is more than just building a structure. The Lord's work is about being light in the midst of darkness. It is about being something even though you think you're a nobody. Not so that you can be something, but so that others can experience the love of Jesus. There are others who surround us. There are others with whom we work. There are others with whom we live. There are others with whom our kids play sports. And we are always thinking, maybe later, Lord. Now is just not a good time. We bind ourselves so that we don't, so that we lack the freedoms to be able to be God's hand in the lives of others. 
Lord, I just can't do it this week. It's not a good week. Sometimes these are not just excuses we come up with, but they're realities that we've put ourselves in. Lord, I'm too bested. I've got no significance. Lord, I'm too bound. I, I don't have the opportunity. Too weak. Too much is going on. I'm not just busy, but I'm I'm anxious and I'm worried. The opportunities just aren't there. Maybe later, Lord. Maybe when the opportunity arises, and it's an opportunity that arises at at a convenient time for me when life is a little more flexible. Maybe then, Lord, we'll get to pull in those weeds. Maybe then, Lord, we'll get to showing the love of Jesus to those kids. Maybe later, Lord. We find ourselves, if we're honest, oftentimes just too bored. We've got no interest. Yeah, it'd be a nice ideal to care about others. It'd be a nice ideal, a great platitude to care for the poor. To show the love of Jesus to someone who, not only do they probably not have a lot of people in their lives who love them, but they're quite unlovely. Oh man, I... I I would love to do this. Why don't you do it? Well, sometimes the root of of the matter is that we're just too bored. We're just completely disinterested. Man, I sure would lo- love to learn more about the Bible. Really? What have you read this week? Well, it's been a busy week. I know. I just haven't had the flexibility that, I know. I had to catch up on 24. I got behind. I've been watching a lot of 24 lately. I'll confess that to you. Bill, I was like eight seasons behind it. <laughs> but you know, it's such a cultural uh, uh, necessity. Man, I sure would like to I sure would like to learn a little more about this. Really? Or what are you doing to make steps toward that? Well, nothing. Boy, I sure would like to get involved in my community. Man, I really would like to have the neighbors over to the house. We ought to do that sometime. Honey, you've been saying that for four months. We really ought to get across the street and meet those new neighbors who moved in. They've been living there for a year and a half. What we find is 
It's not just that we're too busy. It's not just that we're too broke. It's not just that we're too broken. It's not just that we've got all those things going on. Sometimes it's just that we're too bored. We really, really lack the interest. We've got a lot of ideals, a lot of platitudes, a lot of things that sure would be nice to do, but not a lot of things that we're really willing to do because there's not a lot of things that we're really all that concerned about doing. Lord, I just don't like pulling weeds. Don't look to me. Somebody really ought to pull those weeds, but glad that somebody's not me. Somebody really ought to do something. See, we, we, we connect that with like government things, you know. Somebody really ought to fill in that pothole. Goodness gracious, that thing's been there for months. Somebody's going to damage their car on that thing. I remember in Jackson, uh, Mississippi, there was, uh, uh, there, there, was, there was a video of one of my fellow students in seminary. Had, uh, it was a news report, and they, they were interviewing him about a pothole, and it was a really funny video. He's like, somebody ought to just fill the pothole. Come on, just fill it. It's always somebody else. It's always somebody else that could do it. We may look at ourselves and say, I don't have the abilities to to fill a pothole. I don't have the talent to fill the pothole. I don't have the money. I don't know who to go to. I'm insignificant. I'm just a citizen here. Somebody can do something to get the pothole filled. Somebody can do something to do the Lord's work. You know, we, we find ourselves in that situation often with foreign missions. We always think, oh, mission, that means Africa, Asia, Central or South America. That means somebody's going to go live there. Man, I, I can't do that. I wish I could do something, though. Well, you could. You could support this person. Well, maybe later. You could just write them a card and encourage them. They have email on, on foreign mission fields. You, you could just be a source of encouragement for them. Yeah, that'd be nice to do. Maybe I'll do that next week. Maybe later, Lord. And again, Yahweh's accusation to His people is you're living life Otherwise, just fine. See, we're comfortable. We've got plenty to eat. We've got plenty of clothes to wear. Some of you are probably wearing something that you've had for months and have worn it maybe once. Be honest, don't look at anybody else. I mean, we've got so much that our beneficent government gave us an extra hour of sleep last night. We've got that much. We've got sleep we can just pass out. Rest. There you go. There's your free hour. You don't owe us anything for it. We'll take it back in six months. You can borrow it. Life is comfortable. We... On the way to church this morning, I was telling Lindsay, man, I feel rested today. Like, 
I, I feel good. We weren't rushing. We, you know, the kids are, have eaten. Bill, when you heard Emery ask for a Pop-Tart, that would have been his third breakfast. <laughs> we are raising hobbits. I guess that would qualify as 11sies. Life is comfortable. Even in our worst discomfort, we have it made. Haggai the prophet, as he calls Israel to the carpet, he calls them to action. It's time to do something. He calls them to courage. Be courageous. Don't worry about all the fears. Don't worry about all the, 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 the brokenness. Don't worry about all the insignificance. Don't worry about all of that. Be courageous. You know, courage is not a lack of fear. Courage is not a lack of problems. Courage is not a lack of any of those things. Means or opportunity. Courage is simply doing the right thing in the moment. Doing what is good and right. Because it's good and right. Calls them to patience. Because life doesn't always go our way. We're going to have to have some patience. Because life isn't always easy. Because doing the Lord's work isn't always easy. We're going to have to be patient. Because loving people made in God's image is not always something that comes to us easily. Sometimes those people drive us nuts. Sometimes we think, why can't they get life together? Good grief. They've got more means than I do. They've got every opportunity known to man. Why can't they wake up? That's called patience. I think in Hebrew it's having a long nose. I, I don't know that one, but I don't know why that's that, but... He calls us to faith, to trust God, and not just to trust Him, but to be faithful to Him. There is no biblical faith apart from obedience. It doesn't matter what you've been told, there is no biblical faith in the Old or New Testament that does not demand action from us and demand faithfulness from us. Haggai the prophet, as he calls out Israel, calls them to the carpet as he challenges them, he goes on to record in verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, 
with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. May that be our response. Not maybe later, Lord, but okay, Lord. Let's do this. Let's pray. Father, as we bow ourselves before you, we pray that you would give us courage. We pray that you would make us to be patient. We pray that you would give us faith. And Lord, help us to step out into the action to which you're calling us. Lord, help us to look around us. Help us to consider, to set our ways and our opportunities on our hearts and to think about all the ways that we could be serving you. And Lord, help us not to look to any of our insufficiencies. Help us to not look to any of our insecurities. Lord, help us not to look to any of those things that we think disqualify us from doing something. Lord, make us to be people who follow you into the impossibilities, for you're the God who does the impossible. Lord, help us to count our blessings. Help us to evaluate our lives, the comforts that we enjoy, the blessings you've given to us, so that we can then give an honest answer when you call us to be a blessing to others. When you call us to be light in the darkness. When you call us to be your church in the world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.